Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. All right. Welcome to the news. I'm very excited. I think I'm excited because I made it all <laughs> through a week uh, since my knee surgery. This is the first time I've actually done all of the shows I was supposed to do, assuming I don't keel over, uh, which I think I won't. I don't feel like I will anyway. So uh, we're going to talk today uh, in the second segment about the Umbrella Academy, which is, I think it's fair to say, an attempt based on a pre-existing comic book to breathe some life into a superhero genre which I think is its its sales are luffing a bit these days. I mean, I feel like we've seen superheroes do pretty much everything that they're going to do. Uh, so the question is, I guess, can we see them suffer in interesting new ways? So we're going to talk about that, but we're going to begin... Bill Usman, one of our guests, claims that this always happens when he's on, or at least it happens a disproportionate amount of the time when he's on. But unfortunately, uh, people who are really kind of intrinsic to popular culture uh, have either died or turned out to be incredibly ill, uh, and there's just sort of no getting around talking about it. It really is one of the signal cultural events uh, of this week. So we'll be talking about, at minimum, Luke Perry and Alex Trebek, uh, maybe more. Uh, but first, let me tell you that Tanisha Dugan is producing associate at Theater Works. Carolyn Payne is actress, comedian, dancer, has her own brand of popcorn. I don't know. You can't, you can't <laughs> keep up with all of it. Um, and Bill Usman is a professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. Can I say one thing about popcorn? Yeah. So this week there was like this thing going around the internet that your hip hop name is Lil plus the most recent thing you ate. Uh, and so I kind of put that out. I put that in. So a, you were Lil Popcorn? I wasn't Lil Popcorn. Oh. I put it in my newsletter, my Hearst uh, Media newsletter. And then people just started writing in. I said, so what's your uh, hip hop name? And one person was Lil Jerky. And he even sent me a picture of the jerky bag just to prove it. But there was a person who was little scotch and popcorn, which I nice. kind of liked. Little scotch and popcorn. <laughs> nice. I couldn't figure out whether it was like Tony Orlando and Dawn or whether it was just kind of like that was all just one person. But anyway, okay, that has nothing to do with anything. Let's uh, a let's cookie. let's get down to it. I think got like an empire. I think yeah. we. Yeah. I think we go – I guess we go Alex Trebek first. I'm looking at the clips here. So uh, that means Carolyn will probably be getting us started here. Uh, and we're so, breaking down into tears. We're breaking down into <laughs> tears. So any, any of us might do that. that this, but uh, I think what we're going to do is let Alex Trebek tell us what's going on. Just like 50,000 other people in the United States each year, this week I was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Now normally the prognosis for this is not very encouraging. But I'm going to fight this, and I'm going to keep working, and with the love and support of my family and friends, and with the help of your prayers also, I plan to beat the low survival rate statistics for this disease. Truth told, I have to, because under the terms of my contract, I have to host Jeopardy for three more years. So help me, keep the faith, and we'll win. We'll get it done. Thank you. 
All right. So, Carolyn, uh, you are going to get us going here. Uh, you, like me, uh, are we are both uh, Jeopardy fans. I'm not, I don't think I've polled our two other friends here, but uh, I knew about that because last week you were all excited about All-Star Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I DVR Jeopardy, actually. Uh, it's like my favorite part of the day to come home and watch that or watch in the morning or catch up on a week's worth if I've been away. Um, Jeopardy has just been a huge part of my life. When I was a kid, like my parents, you know, would would have it on. And so this this like hit me hard. This was something because it it feels and Alex Trebek just kind of felt like that icon who's never going to go away. You know, there was talk that he was going to retire and then he signs this contract to do three more years. And that was a big relief to me because Jeopardy is like one of those things that I I feel is is like a comfort. And and when I'm having like a stressful day, it's it's something something to do. And now I'm I'm stressed out for Trebek. But I have to say his announcement of this, the way he delivered it, it was just like he was just, you know, positing a a, a question. (laughs) Like it was his his delivery in that professional his very his his hosting voice uh, made it powerful and yet also kind of even more heartbreaking to me. Right, that is clearly the way that he would also tell us that we were about to be attacked by North Korea. Right? Didn't like you feel that. like he he's like, "End the missiles have been launched. Yeah. God help us all." Um, one of the things, uh, t- uh, Tanisha, that I didn't know, even though I'm a pretty big Jeopardy fan, I you know, I mean, Alex Trebek, he's kind of like the Silver Surfer or an uh, you know or an Elf or something. I didn't know how old he was. I mean, I wasn't even close to knowing. He's 78 years old. Um, and there's something kind of ageless, and there's sort of you feel like he's going to be. I don't know how much how plugged into Jeopardy you are. You probably actually have a life, or you have kids that you're taking care of. I, yeah, I don't watch it much now, but when I think of Jeopardy, I think of Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune together, um, because my that was just like when my parents would send me to my grandmother's house. That was like every evening. That's what we would watch. And so, to your point about he's just sort of always there. I mean, I don't know what my grandma will do if she can't watch him on. You know. And she's approaching a hundred this year, and I, and I think <laughs> this poor woman. She often says, like you know, she wished she could live forever, and now she's regretting that wish, um, because you watched people at seventy-eight sort of begin to battle these sort of life and death moments, and I think that's hard to to think about and handle. And mortality sucks, and when you have somebody who's with you every day. Um, like a family member or a friend, uh, it it gets weird. And I think, I hope that he wins this battle and gives us all something positive and, and fulfilling to look towards. But, um, you know, he said it, you know, 50,000 people are dealing with it every year. And he is like a family member to so many people because that's who you end your day with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he is kind of like the Silver Surfer and you kind of do want him to keep on keeping on. Uh, and he sounds like the kind of candidate who might. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, I mean, people do in some cases, and there's sort of our two versions of pancreatic cancer and people. I mean, obviously, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is kind of famous for <laughs> yeah. for keeping keeping on here. So, so Bill, apparently you are also a Jeopardy household. Yeah. Uh, we're a huge Jeopardy household. We watch it religiously. It's sort of – it's it's very – it is very much a ritual. It's the first show that we watch when we start our evening mm-hmm. of television viewing whenever we can do that. Um, there's something – 
you know, it, Jeopardy has always been kind of the respectable game show. It's the one that you know you can sort of feel. Yeah, there's a sense of pride in about yourself. Yeah. I love you know one of my favorite moments in life is when I get the final Jeopardy question right, <laughs> but the other but the yes. contestants have gotten it wrong. Yes, that's mm-hmm. I mean a surge of victory. You can hear the screams echoing through the hills of Bloomfield, um, and I think. The thing about Alex Trebek is he really is the perfect host for that show because he's he's so low-key. He's so much kind of just the facilitator of what's happening. Um, I looked him up and I saw that his career has been pretty much game show host. Yep. That's what he is. And when you think about it, what an interesting – you know, that that's something that a person can be. But he was perfect in that role, just very he, – he is perfect. He continues to be perfect in that role, just being very low-key. Except for when he's snarky. Occasionally arch. <laughs> occasionally arch. Um, I love but, the snarky but, but really just a facilitator of everything that, that's happening and, and, and seems like just kind of a basic, regular kind of guy, which I think, it, you know, the whole um, – Saturday Night Live had this ongoing thing <laughs> mm-hmm. with, you know, Sean Connery supposedly <laughs> despising Alex Trebek and hating him. But the thing that was funny about that is who could hate Alex Trebek? There is no reason to have any type of negative reaction to him because he is such kind of a low-key figure on that show. Although I would build into that and say in some ways – and don't take this the wrong way. But in some ways, there's also no reason to really, really like Alex Trebek. And what I mean by that – I think that's true. Yeah. 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 Is that, yes. that most uh, – first of all, I am old enough not only to remember Art Fleming who preceded him but to have spent an afternoon walking around Hartford with, with Art Fleming, <laughs> one of the stranger things I've done in my life. Um, but um, so Art and Art Fleming was more like most game show hosts, including I would say Pat Sajak, but also uh, your Wink Martindales and your you know people like that. Which is to say, kind of crypto truckling, right? There's sort of a way in which most game show hosts have built on the idea of some kind of non-specific, almost generic likability. Hi, yeah, I'm great. <laughs> Here's a little joke for you. Hey, you look good today. I mean, it's just sort of the Ryan Seacrest DNA thing, and and. And I think Trebek really departs from that. Mm-hmm. He yeah. acts like he doesn't particularly care mm-hmm. whether the contestants like him n- or not. He when just wants well, that's one of my favorite things yeah. when they interview when he interviews the contestants. Uh, you know, at, at, after the first commercial break and every <laughs> okay, true confession. <laughs> yeah. I fast forward through that part. Oh, you're, so, you're but so you're like, missing oh, it because yeah. sometimes terrible. you know, and somebody will tell a story, and you're just like, "Why did you select to tell that on national TV?" And Trebek's response when sometimes he's just like good for you <laughs> and it is so dry and so jerk but in such a lovely polite way and I love that I love how that he toes that little line. jerky you brought yeah. it all back well you brought it back so most game show hosts are dogs and he's a cat, right? Mm. He's a cat. He doesn't really. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. right. Okay. Yeah. A little standoffish. Yeah. A little <laughs> aloof. I'm going to do this show whether you three are here or exactly. not. Right. Exactly. Which is pretty much how Colin is with us, by the way. <laughs> I'm just. I'm going to do this. I don't Rotating. care if, you, if the three of you are sitting here or not. And it, it is sort of interesting because as um, um, new contestants have come along, 
and Carol and I and you apparently apparently also watching the All Star stuff this week. Some of them have really tried to inject quite a bit of personality. I There's find the, that so annoying. That guy Buzzy or that I guy hate Austin. that guy Austin <laughs> with <laughs> passion. Oh. I despise Austin. Yeah, and, and, I, and they're sort of trying to be kind of anti Trebek's, and it's it kind of it doesn't exactly work. It's it's cringy. The, the, I mean the the, pr- the proper alter ego contestant alter ego for Alex Trebek is Ken Jennings. And yes. let me just simply say one thing that was revealed last week is, you know, it's usually the case that, you know, whoever's the fastest, best wide receiver in the NFL right now is probably faster than Jerry Rice because people just get faster and they get better. And just, you know, it's just the human race just, you know, is perfecting itself. But that doesn't happen on Jeopardy. Ken Jennings <laughs> is a freaking steamroller. No, he's a... He will just crush you. He, he uh, might actually be a robot. He's unbelievable. <laughs> so he's here's the question. The well, so, he was on the All-Star Tournament. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so here's the question. When inevitably at some point Alex will have to retire, does Ken Jennings become the next host? Brad, I of think, Jeopardy? is gunning for it. Oh, Brad? Yeah, because yeah. Brad actually has gone into uh, game show. He and also acting. has that same kind of look. I, I don't Wow, mind. we are really in the Jeopardy trivia weeds so now. We, we are now Jeopardy bloggers. We have oh like, yeah, people are like Brad. Which there are really? a lot of. Which there are a lot of. All right, well, we should probably transition anyway because, uh, and this I'll be less that useful. Uh, we have to transition <laughs> from, yeah, from the guy who kind of doesn't. Uh, exhibit any emotions. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of to the guy who doesn't exhibit any emotions. Luke Perry uh, died this week uh, in a different way, right? That kind of James Dean self-containment. Um, so I'm thinking Bill and I are going to be less useful than <laughs> yeah. Tanisha and Carolyn. Wow. So, it's been a rough week for me, I guess. Yeah. So <laughs> which one of you? Colin. Well, I mean, we're old and we're guys. No, you're, uh, you're, yeah. you're He definitely right. hits a, a particular kind of nostalgia. <laughs> yeah. Different than the Alex Trebek. For sure. Uh, I think Luke Perry is uh, I I saw something on Facebook like the day that this happened where it was like guys if your girlfriend is like in her 30s make sure she's okay today (laughs) so yeah Yeah. I mean I I, he's just it's just shocking right and I think because we're in our 30s for somebody who was like this cool teenager well he was like in his 20s on that show but playing a teenager and you know I I was like a young kid right and and he was like really like one of those like first crushes like where it was like a real legitimate crush and you were like feeling you were just feeling it and for him to be dead now is bizarre on so many levels and also that level where you're like oh god I'm old now that's it's it's kind of that you're that that real that realization of that mm-hmm. passage of time that you know, here here we are where he that that he's old enough for that and to it's have not a romantic death like no. a James Dean no. or Kurt oh, Cobain it's, yeah. or right. yeah no it's a stroke so um, yeah. <laughs> maybe the two of you could talk and, and Tanisha I'm going to start with you I mean okay so he was an actor uh, mm-hmm. and he was doing a certain thing on 90210 is there a way you can talk a little bit qualitatively about what what it was that he was doing that worked so well well I mean I think first of all it's the show right the show is just iconic it's an iconic 90s show and it is aspirational if you were at 8 or 9 or 10 year olds and your parents let you watch it mm-hmm. so you're looking at this and going this is what my life is going to look like and, oh my gosh like, you know you, there's you a level of fabulousness right school exactly in Beverly cool Hills <laughs> right um, and he 
you know, he had the two girls and you could sort of play out your your own sort of alter egos through these two girlfriends, you know, the sort of good one and the bad one. And who is he going to end up with? And I kind of was a Brenda girl. Oh, I was totally know? I was totally for Brenda. Yeah. <laughs> was Brenda good or bad? Uh, she was kind she of was the kind girl. of the bad girl. I mean, it's all, it's all Betty and Veronica over and over again, right? So, yes, yes, yes. which, yes. which, yeah, which will lead us to. But I want oh. them to finish up. Oh, with yes, yes. Yeah. yes. But so, so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I mean, there's my sense. Help me out here. But my sense is, <laughs> who is this man? That, yeah, that, <laughs> that there was a kind of. Well, no, I did watch Beverly Hills 90210 a few times just because I didn't want to not know about it. Um, there was that kind of containment that you associate with maybe a James Dean, right? There's sort of well, a he had the look, right? Yeah. I right. mean, he like they modeled the entire character of Dylan McKay off of James Dean. I mean, it was the white T-shirt and it was the jacket and it and was I mean, the hair. I didn't know who James Dean right. was no. then, you know, at at all. And uh, but I, at a Jungian he, level, you did. I, I, right. I guess, yeah. I was gonna say, but you just knew that this guy was cool. Like he was, yeah. he was a little bit bad. You probably shouldn't be, you know, you probably shouldn't be into him, but you were. And uh, he nailed that character. I mean, he. I think he was probably. I recently tried to I, I, uh, rewatch this show. Like I, it, it's like streaming on. I think it's like Amazon Prime. So actually, not too long ago, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna rewatch all this. It's gonna be amazing." And I started watching it. And I was like, "This is not amazing." I have to ask Carolyn one follow up question. Oh God. And, no, well, exactly. And, 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 and you are the only panelist of all the nose panelists that I would feel comfortable asking this question of. Did you ever make any bad personal choices because? Because you were trying to find your Luke Perry. Oh, yeah. I want to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm probably still making those bad personal choices. <laughs> we'll just blame Luke Perry for everything that I've done it's the since outfit. the age of nine. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep finding dudes in that outfit. Oh, well, yeah. We, we should say a little something about because uh, he didn't stop after 90210. He, mm-hmm. he, he worked. Uh, and most recently, he worked in something called Riverdale where he sounded something like this. I need you to know, son. I tried my whole life to build stuff. I tried to build a family. That didn't work out. I'm trying to build a safe life for you. And the jury's still out on that. I've been pouring concrete and laying brick since I was your age. That's who I am. That's all I know. So this is from Riverdale, um, which I watched to get ready for this conversation. Um, And he plays Archie's dad. I should just say that on Riverdale, uh, one of the things that you find out right in the first episode of Riverdale is that Archie, who is a sophomore in high school, is uh, having – has had a sexual relationship with the high school music teacher. Um, The thing that takes a little of the edge off this is that Archie looks older than the music teacher. Um, He looks like he's about 25 years old. Uh, But – for all of that, I mean, you know, Bill, the, one of the questions I had watching Luke Perry, and, and that clip is perfect, is there is something a little fragile and vulnerable about him in this role. But I'm watching a guy I know just died from a stroke, too. I was trying to figure out how much I was sort of infusing 
there. No, um, I think that that is there in that role. So, so my true confession about this is that pretty much everything I know about Luke Perry, I know because of my wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my wife, Lori Bendig, um, is also a media studies professor, but her area of specialty is teen television. Oh. And she is, you, you actually really should have called her in here right. instead of me. Um, now she, you tell us. So, so she taught me that ver- 90210 was more than just a television show. She doesn't think the whole teen television genre as we have it now would exist if it wasn't for 90210. And that's why that show was so iconic. That's why he became so iconic and the other cast members. Um, and so there is, there was something really clever then about casting him as the father on Riverdale, which is just now this whole new genre of teen television. It is over the top. It is cray cray. I'm convinced. I'm absolutely convinced that the producers are just messing with our heads, that they are trolling us, that they are pushing the envelope to see how crazy it can get. And yet here is Dylan McKay as a father figure, as a very quiet, dignified, doing his best kind of guy. And and I think that's very deliberate casting, which actually works really well. And one of the things I learned since his death is it seems like Luke Perry himself was also just like a really decent guy. Mm-hmm. No one has anything bad to say about Luke Perry. Mm-hmm. It seems like he was just a, a real human being who just happened to have a little bit of a life as a pop idol. To that note, they showed – like I, I had on some – I don't know, like entertainment news or some or some news they showed like the outside of his house in a clip. And I, I was kind of shocked because it's it was a very uh, kind of like a little split level ranch sort of looked like the Brady Bunch house. And it it's now just, in California, that's right. worth five hundred million dollars. Sure. Yeah. But, but it struck me because I was like, wow, like that's, you know, it, it just I, I do feel like you got the sense now in kind of learning more because I mean, he had sort of dropped off my radar, to be honest, like he sort of was just in the past as this like you know, sexual awakening (laughs) man that I I remember from my youth. And so then when this happened and you kind of realize like he just was this very like normal, good, upstanding man. And and I really feel for his kids because his kids are quite young. Um, I didn't uh, lose their father. I I didn't, I like you, I didn't follow him into Riverdale and it's actually really interesting to hear some of uh, what uh, you're positing and hearing his voice. I heard, like, it was immediately Dylan. Dylan. Right? Like, I was like, that's that character. And that character as a dad is, in some ways, like, the kind of evolution, I, if I if I were that television producer, I would exactly want to recreate because the idea is that, like, as we are moving into those spaces, we, we are now, we're no longer looking for the dream boat. We're looking to the sort of dream family dynamic to be able to work that kind of thing out with your old, you know, right. well, crush the, is really kind of a fascinating casting choice. Yeah, the timing of Luke Perry's death, they it was he, he literally had the stroke the same day I think that it was announced that they were going to a renew. Renew oh. that there's going to be this reboot with the original cast oh, yeah, of 90210. That's right. Which <laughs> I had heard his body was like hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, when you. I heard about that, at first I was like I, I was ex- I went through this whole progression. I was excited, but then I thought about it, and I 
was like, wait, what? but what are they doing? Aren't they like 50 now? And like, he's never participated in any of the Right, and I'm being told right. that he wasn't going to do this one either because yeah. Riverdale he, he was not. shooting schedule on Riverdale oh, okay. was... was was going to be uh, too much Because I was there. wondering if he was slated to be part of that. But Tanisha, I think the point that you make is a really great one, too, because, you know, the reality, whether you're it, – it's a or the fictive reality, is that person who – Dylan McKay, that person in 90210, as you age, you know, you can only do one of two things. <laughs> you can try to stay that person, in which case you're going to be a joke. You're going to be like the guy in Cobra Kai or something <laughs> oh, like that. It's, you're going to be ridiculous. Or you're maybe going to age into somebody, somebody who – who takes the part, the vulnerable part that was always there, mm-hmm. you know, and turns that into some kind of adult identity. And mm-hmm. it, it appears both in real life and on Riverdale, he did that. It yeah. does. It does. All or, right. So, or you do the who thing, which is hope I die before I get well, old. There's that. Yeah. Which sounds great yeah. when you're 19. And doesn't sound so great when you're 52. True. Mm-hmm. So uh, Jonathan McNichol would like us to say a couple of words about Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver, who I think both Carolyn and Tanisha had to Google, so we're not going to lean too heavily on them. Um, but uh, Tom Seaver, the sort of ultimate uh, pitcher for the Mets uh, and really one of the ultimate uh, baseball players of his era. Uh, his family has announced that he has dementia. He's actually battled over the years with various stages of Lyme disease that are, had impaired him mentally. I don't know if there's a connection between the two or not, but hmm. um, but he now has announced that he has dementia, that he will not appear in public anymore. He owns a vineyard. He's going to do stuff there, but he will. we will not see him again. Uh, he also, not in, in addition to being a pitcher, he was, in fact, a, uh, a baseball broadcaster, too. So I don't know. I mean, I could say one or two things, but do you want to say one or two things? Well, just another... You know, just superstar who also seemed to have been just a really decent human being, too. Um, again, you don't see anything, you know, negative about how he lived his life. He had this really long standing marriage and close relationship, it seemed like, with his family. And somehow, you know, like it sort of seems like um, Luke Perry kind of was able to both be a superstar and some kind and and, and stay grounded despite it. One thing that I will say about this, I'll just try to make it a little bit brainy here, which is that um, whether it's Robert Coover's uh, Universal Baseball Association, J. Henry Watt, proprietor, or Philip Roth's, uh, what is that book called? Uh, the Great American Novel, that's what it's called, yeah. uh, and, or Malamud's The, the Natural. Natural. So much uh, of when, when great authors uh, tackle baseball, one of the things they talk about, one of the things they deal with is this almost Achilles-like perfection uh, of a certain kind of athlete. What do you do with that? And uh, Novelists tend to want to ultimately direct tragedy at that. And it, it seems particularly true in baseball that there are these people who kind of shine in a certain way. And, and Seaver was like that. I, I'm not a Mets fan, uh, but I mean, you know, people still will go on YouTube and watch his delivery because this thing he did with his right leg, just like nobody else really ever you know, could drive like that. And, and he was really attractive and his wife Nancy was really attractive. And he was – there's just a way in which the gods made this really kind of perfect baseball guy. And it's – you know, and so now the novelists are having their revenge. This is exactly mm-hmm. what a novelist would do mm-hmm. to somebody like this. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to hopefully be a little bit more cheerful. But as we go out, we're going to play a little bit of – we're going to stay uncheerful for just a moment. Uh, this is, and talk about having to Google, uh, I'm having to quickly track down the name of the artist. Uh, this is the group Prodigy. One of their members uh, this week uh, also uh, left us uh, death by suicide. And so we'll go out with this. Okay. 
All right. So um, one thing that I've realized as I've been home trying to recuperate from uh, knee replacement is that there's just like stuff all the time just <laughs> dropping onto all these platforms. The it's just like thud, 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 thud all day long. Things are dropping onto Amazon Prime and Netflix and you can either watch them or not or whatever. So um, one of those things uh, in the last few weeks was the Umbrella Academy. It is uh, based on a previous uh, comic book uh, and the pretext of it is very, very close to the X-Men. Uh, the notion is that on a single date – a whole bunch of um, children were born under very mysterious circumstances. Babies were born under very mysterious circumstances. And then this somewhat Professor X-like but not as nice uh, billionaire collected up as many of them as he could because they had special abilities. And we are now going to play uh, a clip where you will hear a whole bunch of people talking and you will have a hard time figuring out who they are. And that <laughs> actually is very similar to the experience of watching the early episodes of The Umbrella Academy. Listen up. Still some important things that we need to discuss, all right? Like what? Like the way he died. And here we go. I don't understand. I thought they said it was a heart attack. Yeah, according to the coroner. Well, wouldn't they know? Theoretically. Theoretically? Look, I'm just saying, at the very least, something happened. The last time that I talked to Dad, he sounded strange. Oh, tell you, please. Strange how? He sounded on edge. Told me I should be careful who to trust. Look there. He was a paranoid, bitter old man who was starting to lose what was left of his morals. No, he must have known something was going to happen. Look, I know you don't like to do it, but I need you to talk to Dad. <laughs> I can't just call Dad in the afterlife and be like, Dad, could you stop playing tennis with Hitler for a moment and take a quick call? Since when? That's your thing. I'm not in the right frame of mind. You're high? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how are you not listening to this nonsense? Well, sober up. This is important. Then there's the issue of the missing monocle. Oh, who gives a about a stupid monocle? Exactly. It's worthless. So whoever took it, I think it was personal. Someone close to him. Someone with a grudge. Where are you going with this? Oh, isn't it obvious, Klaus? He thinks one of us killed Dad. So, first of all, I think it's worth noting that one of the problems with this series is that there are seven characters who are all exactly the same age, at least within the reality of the show. Uh, and of them, <laughs> Ellen Page is probably the only one that we've ever seen before. And so the other six, I mean, you spend a lot of time in the early episodes going, which one is that? That's the one who could talk to dead people? Okay, you know, uh, they all have very well worked out personalities. But so I'm going to begin with you, Carolyn, because I, I've made you watch so many things of this type. <laughs> That I knew that you probably wouldn't like all that much, that it's almost sort of a form of sadism. Yeah, I, I do feel like I'm being personally <laughs> targeted <laughs> at all times. Like, it's like, okay, we're going to talk about a superhero show. You know what? We're, we need to get Carolyn on. If this had been a reality those. show, the same premise, you would have loved this. Uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, Real Housewives of New York came back this week, and I'm, I, I was going to watch this on Wednesday, and then I was like, oh, or I could watch <laughs> this. Um, so I this show I was not as mad about as I have been some others. I mean, t t maybe for me that's like a gold star rating. You know, it's like two thumbs up. <laughs> um, not as mad as, about, as I was about others. <laughs> Carolyn Payne. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 
there's there are some things about the show that I thought were awesome, like the use of music. Yes, um, I know we all talked about that. I love any show where music is kind of its own character in some way, and this mm-hmm. show really does that. Um, you got a dance sequence. I mean, what what more could you possibly want? So that in the Full first on. the first episode, that dance sequence happens to <laughs> Tiffany's. I think we're alone now, yep. and there's some like amazing camera work with it. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I at that moment I was like, you know what? I could get into this. Maybe I'm all in. <laughs> right. Maybe I'm. And then like. You were probably minutes. listening to Tiffany around the same time you were watching Luke Perry. So yes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I wanted to go to like a Tiffany Mall concert for sure. <laughs> um, but so this show, like, there are some things that really work, and there are some things that don't. And oddly enough, the fact that it's about superheroes is kind of like a whole. It's it's like in the background mm-hmm. of this. Um, so if, if you're into the superhero genre, this, that's, don't go into this looking for that. And yet if you're like me and you're not into the superhero genre, you may not find what you're looking for either. Yeah, it's it kind is of a little a weird... like an Easter egg hunt trying to figure out their powers. Yeah. So if you're interested in like what, like supernatural abilities, it is definitely not like the, the bag. But one of the things I've like come to love about doing this show is that we get asked to, to, you know, to take a look at something. Or do you already know this thing? Uh, and I like knew nothing about this show, and I didn't do any research beforehand. <laughs> so I just like started watching it, and like, you know, I think the opening credits is like these like baby b- buggies, and you're like, what is that? Like, what is this? And as it like it doesn't immediately reveal itself to you. You know, it is a little bit of like. A flower, you know, you're like, okay, okay, there's a girl swimming. Okay, I'm thinking this is like a teenage show. All right, all right. It goes with the Luke Perry theme of the week, right? And then the girl is really just a prop to get us towards this, you know, immaculate conception that happens. I I am intrigued, actually, by Umbrella Academy. I, I kind of want to see where it goes. And I am from a family that loves the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. We watch all of the things all the time. Uh, and I'm beginning to get my four-year-old into like the age appropriate, which is hard to find in superhero movies. Um, but I totally told my dad, I was like, you're going to dig this Umbrella Academy. Like, you got you to gotta watch this. This is your, this is your gig. Bill? I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't even ask you a setup question. Just so I grew up reading comic books, so I'm definitely prone to liking and being interested in superhero films and television shows. But I, I think you're right, Colin, that as kind of a genre – the whole superhero thing is reaching a little bit of a midlife crisis, Mm -hmm. I think, because there's just so much of it. It's so saturated. All it takes in Hollywood is for something to be a big hit, and then you're going to get a million iterations of it in a million different forms. And this is absolutely what has happened. Um, I know some movie critics are really lamenting this. They're feeling like... The, the 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 crazy um, profundance of superhero stuff is driving more serious, more complicated dramas out, and it's making it more difficult to to do anything that's not a superhero show. I think what Umbrella Academy and some others are trying to do is they're kind of trying to figure that out. 
how can we make this, but how can we make it in an interesting way that's going to stand out? It's kind of like the advertising industry. The advertising industry is always talking about breaking through the clutter by giving you something new and different. But of course, everything new and different just becomes more part of that clutter. And I think that's the essential um, kind of problem with the show that they don't totally solve. I like it. I I think it's fun. I think it's enjoyable. I think they do some interesting things in terms of what it's really about is family melodrama. Um, and it kind Which is of, my second least, like my <laughs> second least favorite. No family melodrama Yeah, but you. I wonder if, this, if it's... And and the reason it's getting a second season, and I'm not deep enough in this first one, but I think that figuring out whether or not it's a family melodrama or a psychological drama is literally what the creative team is trying to like suss out right now, and I think that's why it's murky. I think the one thing they've determined full stop is that they're going to be as creative in the cinematic storytelling as they possibly can be. Yeah, it's very well-crafted. And the narrative and the storyline is still trying to figure out the whys, right? Because it doesn't want to be X-Men, right? So so they can't be a cohesive bunch because that's too X-Men-y. But we're not getting enough of the, so far, the the sibling relation, like the true sibling relationship, which is where I think the real juice of this. You get a little deeper into it. You're going to find some sibling uh, relationships that you haven't seen too often. Uh, but, um, <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> Very questionable. There, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. so I, I just I want to say they're not really related. So it's I don't okay. know. I don't know why I'm I'm, I'm bookwormy <laughs> today. But uh, as you guys are talking, I'm thinking. So there's a very famous uh, book, uh, psychiatric theory book that came out of maybe the 70s uh, by Alice Miller called The Drama of the Gifted Child. Mm-hmm. And the drama of the gifted child is basically about this notion. Uh, of um, uh, of what happens to a child when a child grows up in a situation where um, merit and achievement are the 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 indices by which the child is judged mm-hmm. that the way that the child can get approval and some version of love from the parents is through this process of of achieving things um, and the result of it is that. You grow up to be a certain kind of person who might maybe, I don't know, be hosting a public radio show and you're not really good with your emotions. And then some woman, while you're in your 20s or 30s, says, I think you should read this book. And she hands you the book and you say, I've already read it. And then she shoots you in the head. Um, so, um, nice. so, but I think this is very much about approval seeking. And as the series goes on, it's much more about approval seeking. Mm. The, the X-Men are, is kind of the inversion of this in the sense that they're mutants. They were outcasts. They're weird. They got wings. They got stuff coming out of their eyes and they find this guy they find this guy who's in a wheelchair who's just like them and he's going to take care of them he is going to create a safe environment where they will all feel approved of this is very much the opposite these people feel like and they're in much more of a zero sum game and and probably in a way that is a little discomforting you know the, the family drama i think is there's seven of them the the sort of quasi-father didn't even give them names. <laughs> Somebody else had to give them names because otherwise they were going to be called number seven for the rest of their lives number or number five. two. Number or number five. And five is still only known as number, number five. five. Yeah. yeah. And, and the way that you become a real person in this environment is, you know, well, anyway, that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, they're all trying to to 
win that approval from their father who has no approval to give I whatsoever. Guess I ask, what I really want to ask you, because you teach students who I feel like are the, more or less the age of these characters mm. or so. You know, a little and, bit younger, yeah, yeah. A little bit younger, yeah. And I just wonder you know, with how that resonates with, with you looking at that kind of young generation right now. I, I, I feel that I, in, they have anxieties about how oh, do I – Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's one of the most difficult things that you deal with as a college professor, not the actual exchange of ideas in the classroom, but handling all of the emotions and stuff that they're bringing into the room that has nothing to do with what you're trying to teach them. And it's such a fraught period of time. And I think the conditions that we're living in have are, are making it even more fraught all of the time because they they have no idea what's going to happen to them after they graduate from college. Supposedly this is supposed to be yeah. this great transit. But I think the economic times that we're living in have made that even more fraught than it ever was in the past. Well, yes. isn't that the whole thing? Like mm-hmm. I'm a millennial and isn't that like the whole thing of the that being a millennial, like we entered a world after college that where it was, you know, it wasn't the same as what it had been for like generations, like the generation mm-hmm. before us. Right. And I, you know, I see this and Bill, I think, made the same comparison. The reboot of Haunting of Hill House is very similar. I see lots of similarities. A lot of similarities. Yeah. It's sort of, it's, it's less about the thing that it's supposed to be about, mm-hmm. just in the same sense that Tanisha is saying the, sec- the superpowers are kind of secondary here. It's more about family dynamics. It's more about, you know, who approves of who, who forms alliances within uh, a, a family. One thing that I wanted to ask, quick, quickly ask you about is there's some stock characters in here, you know, uh, as they're inevitably with Will be. And I think the one who most obviously is a stock character is the is the character named Klaus. He's one of the seven. Uh, he's gay. He's a drug addict. He can see and talk to uh, dead people. And he's sort of the kind of Mercutio, right, uh, of mm-hmm. this story. But I feel like of all the characters, I, first of all, he's the one that I like the most because as Mercutio, he's funny. He speaks the truth in a certain slurry way uh, a lot of the time. But I also thought Wow, I mean, I don't know. They're kind of running that play over. I mean, I could probably name eight other Klaus characters if I thought about it very hard. Yeah, I I feel like the actor does a really good he job with him. Um, but I don't love... Yeah, I, I guess maybe it is because that character is so played out. My favorite is number five. Yeah, number I, five is doing an amazing job. Yeah, he, this kid does, I, I think, a really terrific job playing... He's playing this complicated character that he has... Uh, that he has set forth. And he hasn't, I like his like dynamic with Klaus. Number five and Klaus, I think, have a, I, I like when they're, they're mm-hmm. together. Right. Um, I want an answer about Ellen Page. What about her? Why? Like, why did she get cast? <laughs> like, why? why? Why is that numbered character there? Why is oh, she? Oh, you'll find why out. Why is she so? Oh. I mean, I get she's like the, you know, the redhead from no. X Men, essentially. That's no, like, you will find out. Yeah. I have one name for you Carrie. Um, Later on, I feel like she becomes Carrie. I, I do think that Ellen Page is kind of a mistake in that role. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, like, yeah. I like Ellen Page okay. 
Yeah. I'm just done with her I playing these mopey characters. Exactly. That, that word. That word. Can, yeah. That I, word. I don't know <laughs> what else she can that do word, right, as, yeah. an a, like, as an actor. Well, and I think she, like there's so much face acting going on. Right. I guess that's what makes me go like, but why? Like all but that's, of but the movement in the forehead like, and the cheek. I'm like, But it's girl, only like one group of facial expressions. Tanisha, they're all downward. I feel like, you know, with stuff like that, you want to countercast a little bit. Yes. You, you don't want to have the mopiest person on the planet exactly. play a really mopey role because they just like because where's the where's where's the journey like Like, Sissy Spacek is not that mopey so she can mope and it'll be fine we have to stop anyway in order to have time for uh, endorsements I've actually forgotten what my endorsement is but it'll come back to me Today's show was produced by Dr. Telepants. He can't read your mind, but he can read your pants. And by me, Onion Girl. I can turn anything into an onion. It's not that useful as far as superpowers go. Amanda Fish has the power to make turtles sad. Carlos Mejia can turn himself into the Mejiasaurus. The part of Bill Curry was played by William Catt. On Monday's show, we'll be back with the scramble. And now... Back to Colin. Okay. Props to anybody who gets the William Cat joke. Um, all right. It's time to make some endorsements, some recommendations. Uh, Carolyn Payne, why don't you get us going? All right. Well, you mentioned earlier my love of reality TV. So I'm going to endorse uh, some really, if you just want some fun, brainless TV watching, uh, there is a show. I think it's over now, but you can watch it if you have like on demand. It's called Dating Hashtag No Filter. And it basically is a dating reality show. They take two people who should never interact, put them together on a blind date, and then have uh, comedians do commentary on it. It is just so delightful. And also, like, I want a job on this show. Like, I am desperately trying to figure out how I can be one of the comics on the next season because they just get to sit there and drink and eat popcorn and make fun of these people on this unfortunate date. Uh, So if you're looking for... um, something fun to distract you just I feel as though I owe you that I should watch that I I Given everything that I have you made don't. you watch over the years yeah. I should watch that and I kind of want to anyway yeah I was gonna say that's not really a fair trade <laughs> for <laughs> some of the stuff place. I've had to watch I love it. I love it. <laughs> all right well you're really keeping records uh, all right Tanisha what have you got so I'm going to go kind of lowbrow, too, for NPR. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to endorse uh, Jada Pinkett Smith uh, and her Red Table Talk interview with Jordan Woods. Uh, for NPR audiences who may be too highbrow to follow Jordan Woods and Kylie Jenner, Jordan Woods uh, <laughs> kissed Khloe Kardashian's baby daddy uh, and then subsequently cyberbullied the entire family cyberbullied this young girl, uh, and Jada Pinkett Smith stepped in uh, to give her this Facebook interview. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith has been doing these red talk table, red table talks um, about various issues for some time. So I'm endorsing Jada because I have been listening, sort of following the com- the the internet comments about this, and Jada brought up the race factor uh, in here, and and a lot of the comments have been like, "Why do you do that? This is so not about race." and 
we women of color have to go, well, actually, I know it's not race for you, but it is mm-hmm. always about race mm-hmm. and gender for us. It is never not about those things. Mm-hmm. And this girl could have gotten buried by this family that appropriates uh, her very culture every day uh, without the co-signing of Uncle Will and Jada Pinkett. So I'm going to endorse her. And I'm also going to endorse this... Uh, I had a friend kindly give me this Marie Kondo book two years ago, and it just sat and sat and sat. And now she's getting all this love Which on Netflix. Which is ironic for is, Marie uh, Kondo. Of course, <laughs> because that's like... Uh, but I shout out to her because it's at least making me consider tidying up. Right. Which is a good thing for my life. I should general. say that Betsy Kaplan right now is working on a Marie Kondo show, which I assume has. I guess it's next Wednesday. I don't know. I guess Marie Kondo's on it. I don't know. I haven't really been oh, paying attention. Oh, she's delightful. Uh, all right, Bill Usman. All right, I got to class things up here, and um, <laughs> l- let me tell you something. If I'm the one who's classing things up, that's that's a real problem. I want to try to. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I want to try to nest an endorsement in an endorsement. So I think a couple of weeks ago, Colin, you endorsed uh, True Detective season three. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to re-endorse that because it really is terrific. It's I think it's one of the best thing that's She's that's awesome been on that. HBO in a long time and a huge bounce back from whatever that season two of that show was. Um, but what that show did was it also. Uh, reminded me of a musical artist that I have loved so much over the years. The theme song for the show is called Death Letter, and it's by Cassandra Wilson. That song is an amazing song, but I want to just endorse all of Cassandra Wilson's great body of work. It's jazz, it's folk, it's blues, it's pop. She does a lot of covers of pop songs, reimagined in some amazing ways. Yeah, Yeah, even a Cyndi Lauper cover, which is just amazing. So Cassandra Wilson, seek out everything she's ever done, and you will be very richly rewarded. All right, so I've I, I've been sort of whining in my newsletter about the fact that during my knee recovery, uh, everybody said, "Well, you got to binge a lot of stuff on television," and I just didn't really find that much stuff that I really wanted to binge. I actually don't think we are at peak TV anymore. I just think there's a lot of stuff thudding down on these platforms. But um, <laughs> one thing that happened is that people sort of wrote to me about stuff, you know, and said, "Well, what about you? You should see this. You should see that." So last night I started something that somebody recommended to me. It's called River. It's on Netflix. It has kind of a strange premise, which is that Stellan Skarsgård is this Swedish policeman who's somehow or other working for the British police, uh, and his partner has been killed three weeks ago. She's played by Nicola Walker, who's a wonderful actress, and um, but he has uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. So he sees her all the time. He has all these conversations with her constantly. She's in the car with him and stuff like that. And everybody hears him talking to her and thinks that, uh, you know, that he's losing his mind. It has this incredible supporting cast, including, I think her name is Leslie Manville, who was the sister of mm-hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis in, in Phantom Thread and the, the kind of hard-ass guy who's Sir Alistair in uh, Game of Thrones. And it's like all these great British actors. Oh, and Eddie Marsan. Eddie Marsan walks out in the hall every once in a while. He's another hallucination. So uh, I've only watched one episode of it. I think it's pretty terrific, though. Uh, and I could I could name a whole lot of other stuff that I watched, but fortunately we're out of time. I don't think it would do you any good anyway. So uh, thanks very much to, to Tanisha Dugan and Carolyn Payne and Bill Usman and everybody who helped out with today's show. <laughs>